A reading from Joel. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them in ages to come. Yet, even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, Gather the children, even infants, at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? The word of the Lord. A reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be the sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our, with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance, in affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left in honor and dishonor, 
in ill repute and great repute. We are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and see, we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of the Lord. This year, both Passover and Easter fall within a week of each other. And our Lenten spiritual journey is a Judeo-Christian experience that, il that illustrates how these two observances are actually two sides of the same coin. It is no coincidence that Jesus' final religious act was that of observing the Seder as his Last Supper. We recount the struggle for freedom, justice, and the pursuit of a meaningful life. In every age, including our own, new freedom is won and established, adding to the ongoing development of humanity. Yet each age inevitably creates new pharaohs and enslavements that require new liberations. 
The victory over the first pharaoh in Egypt was but a paradigm of all the emancipations that would follow in the centuries to come. As some of you know, uh, the word Egypt in the scriptures is not just a geographical or historical place. The story of the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt certainly established Egypt as a historical place and slavery as a particular experience of that people. But from then on, it takes on a symbolic meaning. The translation of the word Egypt actually is the narrow place, the narrow place. That symbolic place that squeezes the life out of human soul and body. We are all, each one of us, still enslaved in some form of Egypt because we are all still struggling to be free in some individual and personal way. We are forever moved to work for that time when the pharaohs of this world and of our own personal lives will be vanquished, when right will conquer might, and the highest values of life alone will rule. And all peoples and individuals will enjoy freedom and peace of mind. Passover and Easter remind us that there is redemption and deliverance from oppression in all its varied forms. Degradation will rise to dignity and slavery will advance to freedom. We see in our own time, for example, the contemporary versions of the 10 plagues that blighted ancient Egypt. One, apathy in the face of evil. Two, brutality against the helpless. Three, cruel exploitation and mockery of the weak. Four, corruption of innocence. Five, envy of others' possessions. Six, bold-faced political lies. Seven, greed and the theft of Earth's resources. Eight, belittling of learning and culture. Nine, instigation of aggression. Ten, justice delayed and justice denied. In this hopeful season of Lent that we begin here today, I pray that each of us will confront whatever Pharaoh resides in our personal lives, that from which we need release and redemption, and that we experience either a personal going forth from Egypt or a personal form of resurrection in our lives. So what are you giving up for Lent? Chocolate? Your morning cup of peats? Many of my friends on Facebook are signing off for the next 40 days saying, see you at Easter. 
although technically, and this institutional church has a lot of technicalities, Sundays are not part of Lent. So they can be furiously posting and sharing for 24 hours while they're stuffing themselves with chocolate and downing gallons of peats. But that's really not the point. We do these things as reminders. We do these things so that every time we reach for the chocolate or turn into peats or reach for our tablets, we're forced to remember that Lent is our season of holding ourselves accountable to the ways that we have not lived as God intends us to live. We mark our heads with the ashes of the burned palms that so joyously were carried just a scant year ago, joyful in the promise of resurrection, confident that we are forgiven, that all will be made well. And yet here we are, solemnly kneeling, aware that we have failed to live into that promise, aware that we are sinners. But here's the thing. This isn't all about us. We can put ashes on our heads, give up something we like as a form of penance, go pray to our God in secret, practice good works, and say, okay, I'm good. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that we have reached the pinnacle of personal piety and goodness. But again, it's not all about us. We are embedded in a community, in a body of Christ. We are a chosen people, not a chosen person. And this body is unwell. This body is in need of healing. This body needs to repent, to turn around, and to start living differently. Now, the people of Jesus' time probably wouldn't have needed to be reminded of this. Theirs was a culture that was deeply rooted in community. It was necessary to their survival, their interdependence on one another. And when they heard the words of Joel or of Jesus, they knew that this wasn't solely about them. They knew that Jesus was calling on their corporate responsibilities to one another, that they were to release the captives from their prisons and throw off the chains of the oppressed. They understood that their systems were sick and that Jesus was leading them to engage in transformation of their systems and calling them to build the city of God. Perhaps our big sin is thinking that we are the center of the universe. As Brother Richard reminded me this week of the words of our former presiding bishop, Catherine Jefford Shorey, when she said that the biggest mistake modern Christianity has made is in prioritizing personal salvation, that that is a form of idolatry. Jesus calls us always to get out of ourselves, to work for mercy and justice for all. But that isn't the society we live in. We live in a society that is all about individual achievement, success, self-actualization. And I'm not saying that's totally a bad thing. But it runs the risk of blurring our accountability to one another. It runs the risk of even blurring our ability to see the other. So ensconced are we in our own positions of privilege and self-satisfaction. But our scriptures consistently point our eyes elsewhere. 
In the reading from Joel tonight, listen closely. Blow the trumpet in Zion, he says. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. In our reading from Matthew, we hear Jesus talking about personal piety that shouldn't be done in public for approval, as in don't make a big deal of the fact that you're giving up chocolate. And, okay, everybody's going to see the mark of the ashes on our, on our foreheads, but remember that the receiving of them is a reminder that we, too, will one day return to the dust. But what we didn't hear was the middle section of this part of Scripture. A crucial piece got cut out. I don't know why. But this is the part where Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer. Yes, that Lord's Prayer, the one we say at every service, at every devotion, and even privately in the dark of night. First, Jesus says, don't pray with a lot of empty words, a lot of blah, 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 because God doesn't really need any words anyway. If we pray the Lord's Prayer as a way to align ourselves with the heart of God, we hear this. Your kingdom come. It's a collective word. Give us our daily bread, not give me my daily bread. Forgive us our sins, not forgive me. We're not allowed to make this all about us. This is not all about us. I remember a few years ago, I was walking down a hospital corridor with my daughter. And at the end of the hallway was a huge picture of a landscape with many trees and hills. It was very pretty. And the closer we got, we could see that there was some kind of pixelation going on. And when we finally reached it, we could see that the picture was a composite of photos of faces. And each photo was about one inch square or less. Different faces, men, women, children, smiling, glum, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. And all of it formed a picture, when seen from a distance, of a whole that was much bigger than the sum of its parts. And for a moment, I felt like God surveying the universe. You know, each of us unique, each of us necessary, but all of us embedded in something bigger than us. So what does this mean for us on this Ash Wednesday? What does this mean for us as we embark on what we hope will be a holy Lent, a time of renewal, awakening, and recommitment? What fast can we make that will point us toward the needs of our community, our world? I was at a community meeting this week where we talked about what we can do to ensure that everyone has adequate health care, to preserve the environment and combat the effects of global climate change, to stand in solidarity with our immigrant neighbors, to work for animal rights, for affordable housing. So many concerns, all of them worthy. But the leader of the group said, you can't sign up for all these things. It's too much. Sign up for the ones that you feel most passionate about and trust that someone else is working on the other things. In other words, trust that you are in a community, that you won't be doing it all alone, 
that you will be held accountable and hold others accountable for doing what you said you would do, for being your one smiling, one-inch photo in a larger picture. Remember that we are here for a moment and that what we do here matters in the larger picture. That when we reside in the heart of God, we know that this isn't all about us. And forgive us all when we forget. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.